This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One thing you must know, the wedding industry is not designed to bring two loving souls together under the state and or God. It is designed to extract your money from your wallet, pit you against other women, and make you feel like garbage fire. That's what it's there for, okay? There's a litany of requirements, social, cultural, traditional, all these things. Everything's got a price tag. Everything takes up time. And I'll tell you what, I paid for my wedding personally. So you can best believe I took a red Sharpie and I went down that list of bullshit. And if it didn't involve me taking off my shoes, drinking tequila, or listening to Garth Brooks, we did not fucking do it. Comedian Eliza Schlesinger gets married and cuts the bullshit. It's the last laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast. Eliza just released her fifth hour-long Netflix special. It's called Unveiled and mostly consists of material about her recent wedding. Things got pretty deep pretty fast in our conversation with Eliza. She shared her feelings about audience members who get offended by her jokes and critics who think she's not the right kind of feminist. Eliza also shared some details about her upcoming sketch series for Netflix and told stories about the early days of her career when she won Last Comic Standing and then had to go out on the road with all the male comics she beat. Let's just say it wasn't fun, but made her the toughest nails comedian she is today. Before we get to the interview, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And while you're at it, give us a follow on Instagram at LastLaughPod. Here we go. This is me and Eliza Slushinger. Thank you for coming in this morning. Thanks for having me. You've already me. had a busy, busy morning. Yeah. Yeah. Day before the, the Netflix special comes out. Oh, so we're not doing this in real time? Well, we're, we're acknowledging the reality of, of right of, now. Of space time? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's coming out tomorrow? Yeah. As we speak, it's coming out tomorrow, but for people listening, uh, you it's, can, already you can, it's already out. And you've probably already watched it like four or five times, probably, yeah. if you're listening to this. Now we're coming back for some um, of my voice. <laughs> so in this, in this moment in time, how are you feeling with the, with the special about to come out? Oh, you know, it's so funny. So, so proud of it, so excited. We sh- you shoot them so far out from when they actually air. Right. So there's all this excitement, and then six months goes by, <laughs> and the marketing's really cool. I'm shooting a movie right now, and it's just been, I've been engulfed in that movie because yeah. it's like 4:30 a.m. call times, and today was my day off, but it's a press day, and I woke <laughs> up and I was like, special's coming out tomorrow. Wow. Like yeah. the years before, I do like a countdown, but mm-hmm. uh. So I'm ex- I'm so excited. It'll it, tomorrow will be like Christmas. What's the movie that you're working on? Uh, it's a movie. I wrote a movie a oh, couple wow. of years ago, and I <coughs> worked really hard to get it made. Um, That's exciting. Got a distri- distribution deal with Universal. Yeah, so it's exciting. So we're gonna shoot that, and then uh, next year Wonderland comes out, which is the movie I shot for Netflix with Mark Wahlberg. Oh, cool! And my sketch show comes out. So I try <laughs> you have to a, you have a lot going on. <laughs> I try to plan on my life so that every few weeks I have something to be excited about. Yeah. Uh, Can you share anything about the movie and what the my sort movie? of, yeah. It's a, it's a movie, it's a, a true story based on a lie. So it's a true story that happened to me about somebody in my life that 
and it was like a total sociopath mm-hmm. and it's a revenge anti-rom-com okay yeah all right so that's <laughs> a year out here's my here's your teaser folks mm-hmm. but uh who's your who's your love interest in the in the movie in real life the actor in, yeah the we, actor we have ryan hansen oh very Veronica cool Mars yeah no, he's, he's great. great he's great and margaret cho plays my best friend um so let's talk about your special uh, yeah. unveiled this is the the first special since you got married yes. and so it has a lot of material about about your wedding and sort of leading up to the wedding and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you kind of, and I think a lot, you know, your specials have, you had, this is your fifth on, on Netflix, yes. right? Um, so they've chronicled, you know, your, your life up to this point. So, and they kind of go from, you know, uh, being single to being engaged to being married. So how did you think, think about this one and sort of what you wanted to make, make this latest one uh, encompass? You know, it's all in retrospect, it's all in hindsight. When you start, when you st- you look back on your experiences and you start to formulate things and what at the time when I was writing it I was engaged and planning the wedding and going through it and then I had the wedding and this is all between Elder Millennial and um, Unveiled so you have all this information to digest so mm-hmm. I never set out deciding like this is what it's going to be about but then you kind of you're incorporating all of your experiences uh, in retrospect and as they're happening mm-hmm. and since I was already engaged you know, the wedding is the next uh, logical step in that evolution. And fortunately for me, I got married at a time where I was able to talk about it and put it on this next special. So it's just that I really believe in reporting on life as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Comics are commentators and, you know, I never do anything for the material. I always think that's so hacky. And yeah. People are like, you do, just go for the material. I'm like, that's not how I live my life. <laughs> You live your actual life and then and then let that uh, provide the it. comedy. And that way it's infallible. Nobody can poke a hole in it when it's your real experience or it's your real tragedy or uh, life experience that you've been through. Nobody can ever take it away from you. Nobody can ever say, oh, you can't say that. I'm like, well, I said it. Mm-hmm. Like I have a friend who I think they had cancer and they were like, I want to say something about it on stage. I'm like, if you had cancer, you are allowed to say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to say whatever you want anyway. Yeah. But this version... You shouldn't be afraid of it. This society where people are like, that's offensive. You're like, well, then I guess my existence is offensive because (laughs) that's what I reported on. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, a lot of people, especially if you're speaking to your own experience, I mean, have you had that, have you had that experience of saying something on stage that actually happened to you and then having people kind of take it the wrong way or... Not a ton, you know, I think it tends to be, I would say 99.99% of the feedback I get is positive and love. And I have really great, special, supportive fans. Mm -hmm. And on occasion, you get someone who says, like, you know, that I found that offensive. And my response, and and I am a very analytical, self-analytical and critical thinker. And I'm always open to other points of view. And I think that's how we evolve. But when you come at me with, oh, you said something and my kid does this and that hurt my feelings. My thought is... Oh, but you were okay to laugh at it when the joke was about other people. Right. But then when it came to you, all of a sudden you're shutting it down. Then don't go to a comedy show. Because <laughs> nothing I'm saying is designed to hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. And you you can't please everyone. So as a comic, it's just kind of like, look, I came with a white flag up. I was, Everybody laughed because that's why it's in the special. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel uh, my shame barometer isn't going off. So <laughs> sorry that bothered you, but I'm not sorry. Yeah. You also have a piece of your special that kind of pops up from time to time. That's uh, the voice of a uh, blogger sitting in the back of the room commenting on your 
material or, or where did where did that come from and that sort of idea of, of wanting to include that? I just feel that we're at this point in our society where in an effort to ex- to spread open-mindedness and to get everybody to be open-minded, we're too aggressive with people and oftentimes allies pick on one another and that really comes from as a woman who I whatever charity I donate to, whatever woman I stick my neck out for, whatever cause I'm championing, if I'm not perfect in the exact moment that someone who already probably didn't like me seeks to criticize me, then I'm crucified. Mm -hmm. And we do this with women under the guise of feminism and under the guise of, uh, under the arch of arc of, Oh, you know, furthering this feminist agenda. We very quickly tend to turn on other women. Well, she's not doing feminism, right? There's no metric for it. You can do nothing and you're still by thriving in this world and trying to succeed. You're doing your part. And because I think sometimes we feel so frustrated, we tend to turn on each other as happens. And I'm just not here for it. If you're writing a mean article about me, I it tends to feel it's less about me and more about what you think I represent to you. Mm-hmm. And it's petty. And I'm just number one rule in comedy, make fun of yourself before they can get to you. Yeah. I just think it's lazy journalism. And I I'm here for real criticism and real growth and real conversations, mm-hmm. not clickbait. Because in the wake of Me Too and Time's Up, all of these important, very necessary movements, what's come out of it is women policing other women. And we walk around terrified as women of being called bad feminists by, quite frankly, other bad feminists. So we all walk around on this heightened alert, like, she's amazing. I didn't say anything. Don't get mad at me. I love all women. No woman's ever made a mistake ever. White jeans are always a great choice. Slay it, queen. Terrified. (laughs) Terrified. That if we give an actual opinion, we're going to get crucified. That if you say any criticism, some blogger in the back of the room's like, female comic shamed my choices by existing. She hurt my fifis. Blah, blah, blah. That's what happens. Is that something that you've experienced in your career? And how, is it, how has it felt in the, or can you give an example of it that you've um, been targeted in that way? I mean, targeted is harsh. I mean, we all have press that we don't love, you know, someone says something you don't like, you know, and there's sprinklings of it, whether it's uh, a morning show DJ who's shitty to you, or you get that one journalist who didn't like you before they wrote the piece, Mm -hmm. you know, or they hold up one thing of an example of what you did. It happens and it doesn't happen a ton, but it was enough to kind of just make me, and I see it done to a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. And I read a lot of articles online, you know, you just click around. Yeah. uh, Because I fall for clickbait. (laughs) And, uh, Sometimes it's not objective journalism. It's a hit piece. Yeah. Which is fine. There's opinion pieces and there's, yeah. For sure. Um, And so, but I do think, you know, and this is, I started telling these jokes about just this man, this obligation that all women love each other, which is not what feminism is. Mm -hmm. The idea that I should just love another girl. Most people are sociopaths. (laughs) And I'm pretty picky about like who I, because not everybody is well-intentioned. I do like people. Mm Mm-hmm. But you don't just surround yourself with everyone. There's no safety in that. Um, And so this idea that that's what feminism should be. And if you disagree, then you're labeled as like a woman hater. And you're like, what about all this other stuff I did? What about the book (laughs) I wrote and the charity and the lawsuit I'm going through? All this stuff that I do in the name of women. Oh, because one woman that moment decided and now she has the power. That's totally imbalanced. And so I tested these jokes out for like a 
you know, several months, the amount of women, not only cheering, but coming up to me after and looking me at and being like, what you said is exactly how I feel, but we're not allowed to say these things because mm -hmm. then it looks like you're anti men, men of power, women of power, executives, meetings, everybody saying like, I completely agree. Yeah. You know, but you, we all have to put on this smiley face and be like, yes, all women forever. No woman's <laughs> ever wrong. Sisterhood. That's insane. You're a Stepford wife. Yeah. You t this, it does seem to have come out a little bit of uh, me too as well. You talk about how that has changed that it's sort of made this problem worse in some ways. Uh, I didn't say that. Um, or, I do feel in the wake of me too. So yeah. me too happened mm -hmm. and we have this pendulum swing, which was, which is an overcorrection, which happens with mm -hmm. things, with social movements. Um, and in people's efforts to further this movement, which was an important one, and I'm glad it happened, like drain that swamp, um, then people get in their heads like, oh, well, I'll decide what feminism is. And it's like, you can privately, but don't attack someone else because they're not exactly how you should be or how you think that they should be. Mm -hmm. I took a meeting once with a writer and I liked her. I was like, this is cool. Like, she'd be great to work on this. And the note back was, she felt your feminism didn't match with hers. And I was like, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> and I think that comes from a weird place of insecurity. Yeah. But fuck her, who cares? Yeah. What it was there more was, was there more to it than that? Or did Weirdly, they felt it was okay to even convey that note. No. Because I'm sure had you pressed that person to explain it, it would mm -hmm. have been like, uh, you you're intimidating. <laughs> so I don't know. I think allowing women in particular to fee and be the way that they are, be the way that they are and not force more on them and understanding that conversations are what move a needle and being the kind of woman who's like, men suck, women rule, girl power. Like I've never said girl <laughs> power in my life because I think it's cheesy. Yeah. But if that's the way people want to do it, that's fine. Um, I'm not saying you should hate those people. We tend to just get, we tend to just nail women to the wall. You say one thing and it's like, well, you said you didn't like girl power and I say girl power, so I hate you. <laughs> it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It could be, we do it all the time. Celebrities make mistakes and then you move on. Mm -hmm. And it's my job to talk and hold up a mirror to society. And guess what? Sometimes society is ugly. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. I'm the ugly one, like whatever. Coming up, Eliza tells us how she finally made her dream of starring in her own sketch comedy show a reality. This episode of The Last Laugh is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography and creative writing to design, productivity, and more. So whether you're returning to a longtime passion project, challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has classes for you. I know I am always trying to learn new things in my work, like, for instance, how to make a podcast, which I did not know how to do before we started this show, but I think I'm getting a little better with each episode. If you want to learn how to make a podcast, Skillshare has a class for that. It's called How to Make a Podcast, Plan, Record, and Launch with Success. And if you like The Last Laugh, you might also be interested in checking out Going Viral, Write, Film, and Make Content People Share, which is taught by comedian Matt Bellisay. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare and get two months free when you sign up at Skillshare.com slash laugh. That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Get started today by heading to Skillshare.com slash laugh to sign up. That's Skillshare.com slash laugh. 
I mean, the sketch show is very exciting as well. So have you already, sh- how much of it have you shot? Shot all of it. All we of are, it. I'm leaving here to go to the edit. Uh, that's a lot. I'm leaving here to go to an audition and then the edit. <laughs> um, and so we're, we got six episodes. We shot a lot of sketches per episode. Yeah. A lot of characters, but it's for Netflix. It's going to be out Q1, they yeah. like to say. <laughs> Beginning of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> sure. What were, I mean, sketch shows are just kind of fascinating to me because they have such an interesting history and obviously Saturday Night Live is so dominant in that, Um, but there's been new ones and Tim Robinson had his on, um, on Netflix. So I think this is maybe kind of the model that they're doing because six episodes, his was six episodes. Yeah. Um, what were, and you know, there's obviously there's Amy Schumer's show and Key and Peele and there's been a lot of great sketch shows. So are, are there ones that you loved or looked to or wanted to emulate or not be like or how did you kind of approach it sketch had always been the biggest informer for my stand-up growing up i watched kids in the hall Mm -hmm. and i loved i love kids in the hall and the state and then like french and saunders did sketches before absolutely fabulous which Mm -hmm. is a show that i consider like a personal bible um so I always love sketch and my standup is very sketch like. Yeah. Like there's acts mm-hmm. to it and there's bits and there's voices and texture and there's characters. Yeah. So when Netflix offered me the show, I was like, well, this is just perfect because this is how I see my standup anyway. Mm-hmm. And you can make points differently. So uh, it was really more about bringing to life the scenery in my head and mm-hmm. all the gripes I have with society and little moments and really expounding on 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 things that I think are weird or that need attention or ugly characters that need uh, screen time. Mm-hmm. So that was, yeah, I think there's a uh, three or four, there's Tim's, there's mine. And then there's like one or two and they, that's their big push for sketch. Yeah, no, it's exciting. I mean, obviously Netflix is doing everything um, and you've been with them, as I said, for this is your fifth special and yeah. now you have the um, sketch show and, so what I mean, you you kind of you got in early on the on the Netflix stand up yeah. boom. I'm I mean, never <laughs> early to market on anything. I yeah. remember someone showed me Twitter once, and I like they were like, "Do you want to do this?" And it was like brand new, and I was yeah. like, "Why would anyone? Why would you want to <laughs> tell anyone what you're doing? I don't yeah. get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not very technology forward." But uh, what was your question? Well, just uh, <laughs> I guess with Netflix, how did you how did you end up doing your your first special with them, and what was sort of the uh, it was an acquisition. Yeah. So it wasn't with them. This was at the time when they were acquiring. I don't think mm-hmm. they do that anymore. And they acquired it. I couldn't tell you so long ago. I don't know how that happened, but they did. Mm-hmm. And then through whatever accounting error. <laughs> no, the <laughs> second one was a Netflix original. And, you know, they don't give you numbers, but it obviously got enough attention that, you know, I was able to tour a lot more and upgrade from clubs to theaters. Uh, And while you don't get your numbers and, you know, I may not be the most famous comic on the planet, like the fact that I was touring through Japan when my dog died, I think speaks volumes. And you're going back into these countries now. It is the trippiest thing to look at someone who speaks another language, different face, and they ask you a personal question because they know from your stand-up. Yeah. You know, they ask you about Party Goblin, Mm -hmm. but in like full Chinese. (laughs) It is crazy it's so humbling or just going to Australia just these places that get Netflix and different languages and just hearing them say your words back to you with their own culture and their own beliefs and everything and what connects you is the very human thing that I said on stage because people are all the same yeah under it all it's uh it's mind-boggling. It's just the coolest thing ever. Yeah, I mean, you obviously you you play much larger venues uh now than you did when you were, you know, when that first special came out. 
Um, how have you kind of adjusted your act in that sense? Because it is so physical and kind of reaching the, the, the back of these big theaters um, must be kind of a challenge. Or how did you kind of learn how to do that? No way. I think the venues caught up with my act. Yeah. I've always had <laughs> like a big, physical, energetic mm-hmm. act. Um, I love doing a small venue because it's, you know, you change your pacing and stuff. But mm-hmm. my act has always been like it was born ready for yeah. a larger stage. Like I get those steps in. You play like a 4,000 person casino, you know, and you're like on that stage, like you, you'd better make some moves because people are going to feel isolated mm-hmm. and they've got the monitors up. So I love the fullness of it. Mm-hmm. So that was, I was ready for that. Sometimes comedy club stages, I'm like, I just wish I had like 10 more feet so I could really do this lunge. <laughs> no, I mean, you're, it's, it's good that you were always that way because yeah. it's, it's a lot of comics. I feel like when you, when they get to these bigger venues if you have a subtler act or a smaller act it's, yeah. it's not gonna you're not gonna reach the back I of mean, the room. the words take up energy I'm an energetic person I move my hands I love I like watching comics that take up space and move around mm-hmm. you know I I've never been one for stillness I'm not mm-hmm. stoic I'm not quiet um and so I uh like to give what I like mm-hmm. I guess how did that work when you were when you were just starting out, you know, in open mics and and that kind of stuff when you were you started in LA, right? I did. Yeah. Um, you know, it's almost kind of like an alligator. Like you put a baby alligator in a baby box, it'll stay small. Mm-hmm. But the boxes get bigger and alligator <laughs> reaches its full potential. Yeah. Um, that being said, like a mini alligator would be so cute. Uh, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that to alligator. Don't have an alligator. Um, it was what it was I didn't I mm-hmm. had never done the bigger stage so you just have what you get and you're probably so focused on not eating shit that <laughs> you don't think about uh, the mileage covered during your set but I never did an open mic you never did open life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs learn more at UH1.com wow nice yeah what you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks underwear and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds yeah that plush and the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, my whole life I've never showed up and then just hoped mm-hmm. to get on. I'm a planner. And I always, like, I had a full-time job when I started. So if I was going to go to a show, if I was going to get out of work at 6 and go to a show, like, I was going to have a spot. So I always made sure I was on the lineup. Mm -hmm. Um, That was just the way that I chose to operate. And then I ran my own show. And then so you trade with other people. And then I became a paid regular. So never actually did a proper open mic. Yeah. What do you remember about the first time that you got up to to do stand-up? I remember it really well. Uh, I did it at this place called Room 5, which is on La Brea. It's no longer there, but the giant glass window that had the five might still be there. And uh, that's it. I invited all my friends. I probably did like five minutes. Mm -hmm. And you have your little jokes written down about traffic and pizza. The pizza joke was pretty funny. Uh, I had like a herpes joke. Do you remember the pizza joke? I do. Um, The pizza joke was I saw a commercial. (laughs) I think I did it on Last Comic Standing, but I still think it's a good joke. Um... Now buy the pizza joke was like now buy any two medium one topping pizzas get a third pizza 
with marin get an order of crazy bread with marinara dipping sauce and i'm thinking sorry i fucked it up <laughs> get an order buy any two medium one time pizzas get a th- get a free order of cheesy bread with marinara dipping sauce and i'm thinking cheesy bread marinara that's pizza <laughs> so gross that in america the side dish to pizza is pizza just reconstituted and people loved it Americans will eat anything. We will eat anything as long as there's a commercial giving us the thumbs up. Right? We'll eat the same thing over and over again thinking it's something different. I saw a pizza commercial the other day. Now buy any two medium one topping pizzas, get a free order of cheesy bread and marinara dipping sauce. It's like cheesy bread marinara sauce that's pizza <laughs> amazing that america's favorite side dish to pizza is pizza <laughs> reconfigured that's all that is dentine ice the gum with the hard candy shell saw a dentine ice commercial the other day dentine ice is coming out of its shell Introducing new Dentine Ice Soft Chews. Okay. You mean gum? It's a good joke. It's a good joke. A lot of like this voice was there. I used to open the act by being like, how are you guys doing? And the audience would, because they're rude, would just go silent. I'd be like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not my voice. I'd be like, oh my God. A uh, lot of hustling around, multiple sets a night. Mm. I remember the hustle. I remember that. Yeah. And then how did it kind of start to, to go from the, the smaller, you know, those, those five minutes to what was sort of the, the stepping stone to, to doing longer bits and touring and all that? You know, there's no right way and no one's career is the same. Yeah. So it's always dumb. People are like, whose career do you hope to emulate? I'm like, no one's because nobody has the same career. Yeah. Um, I had a, I'll just tell you the whole thing. I had a full-time job in an office. I was doing sets at night. And I would spend all day like doing my job, but also like making comedy flyers. Mm-hmm. I would email other bookers and be like, can I just make your flyer for your show? Mm-hmm. Um, anything I could do to get in. And then I got my own room because I wasn't booking enough spots. And this is what I tell all comics, like just start running your own room. Now the city is replete with shows, but at yeah. the time there weren't that many mm-hmm. and I wasn't getting the spots I wanted. So I started running my own show. Um, I, I don't know what came first, chicken or the egg in terms of being a paid regular, but I started getting more and more comedy gigs and I called my mom and I said, I'm going to quit my job to go do comedy full time. Mm -hmm. And if I fail, I can always get another shitty job. Like (laughs) this is not my passion. And I asked her if I could borrow a thousand dollars to buy a computer. She said yes. And I paid her back. Uh, And I got my first military tour. Yeah. And while I was on the military tour, the audition for Last Comic Standing came up. So I flew home from like Singapore to Mm -hmm. San Francisco audition. Got it. And then after I won Last Comic Standing, it was just kind of like, well, now you're a headliner. Good mm-hmm. fucking luck. Yeah. There's no um, support system. You're not, it's not like Last Celebrity Standing. Like, you're Last <laughs> Comic Standing, and they're like, hope you have the material later. Yeah. So I set out with my little bindle spiff and knapsack <laughs> uh, and a big bag of merch that I checked every time. And I just started doing clubs small clubs and there there were improvs and then clubs some you know just never bad rooms to be honest like it was never like a b room they were always clubs Mm -hmm. but they get you for like like thursday through sunday multiple shows you're Mm -hmm. doing press and it's 5 a.m like it's brutal but you have the energy to do it and 
you know, I did like a Comedy Central half hour, like I was doing all the things, but by and large, you're on the road alone, cobbling together what you think a career should look like. Yeah. And I just kept, it is a business of repetition. I have a documentary on Amazon Prime, don't be jealous, uh, called <laughs> Over and Over. And I had a camera crew follow me for like six months, yeah. just showing the repetition and work that goes into that. I think it's very easy to criticize why you're not getting spots, why other people are succeeding, but especially for women, like if you're a, if your jokes are fire, you're getting spots. Yeah. And why, it, do, you, why do you say, especially for women? Because I think it's very easy to, and it does happen like, Oh, these comic men don't like women. Male bookers don't like women. And mm -hmm. it happens and it is a real thing. But like if you're getting those spots, like there are plenty of women who have opportunities they've created for themselves and they're moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so you have to just keep at it. And I would go back into these cities year after year and just like blood from a stone, just doing every radio show, just trying to get people to come out to see you. And you'd walk into a room and it would be full, but then you'd find out it's because the radio station gave away a bunch of tickets. Mm -hmm. And I would stand outside of the club with my, my duffel bag and I would sell my own t-shirts. I'd run off stage. I'd run out there and just, you know, trying to, no one showed me. Yeah. You were just kind of making it up as you went along. Yeah, you see the guy before you sold $8 billion worth of merch. You're like, I'm going to try it. And you're making it up as you're going along. There's no, I had no like mentor, nothing like that. Because you are kind of, it is such a solo sport. Yeah. And uh, going back into these markets and then you go from a specific amount of money to a guarantee, to a guarantee with bonuses, to a door deal. And then you do a small thing. And like, so it, your money goes up and mm -hmm. I would say from confirmed kills on, it was just theaters and just huge. Yeah. And it just it clicked. But this was not just Netflix. And that does happen for people. They get mm -hmm. Netflix a special too. And they just go, this was years of going into those markets. Yeah. Um, re repeatedly and putting in the work. Yeah. I mean, people assume, oh, it's just it's winning last comic standing or, oh, it's no. just Netflix. <laughs> and it's, but it, you, yeah, I mean, what you're saying it's is all it's not. That. Yeah. And for some people it is. Some people it's the one thing or you tour or whatever. But I'm interested in building longevity and a career, not mm -hmm. a job. And you can be shot out of a cannon as I was with last comic, but like I chose to have the material mm -hmm. and not rest on a laurel. And you can tell the comics that do and the comics that don't. Yeah. But it is about the work. What do you wish, what do you, what do you know now that you wish you had known then when you were just starting to tour? I wish I had known that I could bond more with other comics. Mm -hmm. Um, and that I wasn't, I didn't know I didn't know anyone else who was doing what I was doing at that level. I didn't really know any other women mm -hmm. for a while. So I had all these like male comic friends. And if we're just being honest, like I was headlining when a lot of the people that I knew from L.A. were not. Mm -hmm. And so you're in this weird thing where like back home at the comedy store, your friends are there, but you're the headliner on the road and you just feel kind of alone. And I I wish I had known that there were more people out there doing what I was doing and that I, I could have looked harder or I, it, an experience like last time I was standing is so brutal and the other comics were so horrible and mean. And so you start to think, Oh, everybody hates me. I've mm. done nothing wrong, but this is how they are. So there was, you're guarded. I was guarded and, uh, nervous that people were going to be mean. So you kind of just put your head down and you don't engage because mm -hmm. everybody was so horrible. Yeah. And then you pick your head up one day and you're like, I don't have to allow that. Was that the culture of Last Comic Standing, that it was sort of a competition and brutal? And I mean, because... It wasn't until I won. Everything was cool. Really? And then I won and I had to go on tour with these maniacs. Oh, So that yeah. was just one of those things where, you know, you're this young girl, I was like 26, 
headlining these massive rooms with a group of men who hated me. And that was really, and you didn't, I didn't, hadn't done anything. Mm-hmm. And I think it definitely made me tougher. The good news is nothing in my career will ever be as mentally taxing as that. Mm-hmm. So we're over that hurdle. Yeah. And it's made me who I am today. So that's fine. Um, but other than that, like, I don't really have regrets. Mm-hmm. Like I was never staffed on a show. And so I never had like that pool of other colleagues. You just have the comics that you, that happen to be in your class at the comedy store. And those are your friends. Yeah. Do you feel like you have more of a community in in comedy now? I mean, we're all part of this community and we all have that thing we are bonded over. And especially the more successful you are, the more people want to be part of your community. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not, there's a calmness that I feel. Mm -hmm. I don't feel I have to prove myself to anyone. I don't care if people think I'm a good hang or the cool girl. I am here to do the work. I am here to give anyone advice Anybody who works hard, you want to come do five minutes and like you're like, I'm here to give those opportunities and to help anybody who is actually doing the work. Um, But I'm not here to stroke anyone's ego. I don't care (laughs) what people take away from that. Like I'm here. We're all here selfishly. Yeah. But I very much would like people to take a, a nice experience away from working with me. Coming up, Eliza tells the story of performing for the troops overseas while she was sicker than she'd ever been in her life. This episode of The Last Laugh is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you're still using one of the big wireless providers in 2019, have you asked yourself what you're paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, you're being taken advantage of because they'll know you'll pay. Enter Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you. I know I've spent way too much time in those big wireless retail stores over the years and would do pretty much anything not to set foot in one again. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. And with Mint Mobile, you can stop paying for unlimited data you'll never use. Choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with Mint Mobile. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash laugh. That's mintmobile.com slash laugh. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash laugh. What do you remember about your late night stand-up debut? I think I know what it is. but I, I think was... it's when it was just Jimmy Fallon, yeah. not The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. It was late night with Jimmy Fallon. I have a picture somewhere in a closet of Blanche, my dog, sitting on his desk because <laughs> I brought her because I did a bit yeah. with her. Okay. But I also did, oh, I guess it wouldn't have been late night. Arsenio got his show back, but I don't, I remember doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was after. Uh, so I guess it it had to have been that. Yeah. I wore coral jeans, mm. which at the time was like super all current, but like I would not do that again. But I have a distinct memory of doing that. And every time I've done The Tonight Show since, you stand behind this curtain. There's this good looking guy that works backstage. So shout out to you. I can't remember your name. Uh, that handed you the microphone. Mm-hmm. And you're just there behind it. And the curtains close. And you can hear him starting to talk about you. And I do thousands of sets and I've done all kinds of audiences 
but there's something about that because it's not only is it live in front of that audience, but it's going out to everyone mm-hmm. um, in that moment. And there's no do over. I mean, I guess. Yeah, no. And there's that. I love my job with a passion. And there, every time I think to myself, why do I fucking do this? And then the curtains <laughs> open and it's like go time. They hand you the microphone. They're like, good luck. Uh, and then the sense of relief. I always feel like a gymnast that just completed mm-hmm. like a triple vault, whatever. I come off. I take my heels off immediately and they have uh, Momofuku cookies in your gift bag. Mm. So I eat a bunch of those. That's memorable. Yeah. When you do James Corden, it's different. They You come out, I think, to do like your sound check or something first. So the audience, like you get a moment with the audience mm. before you reveal. And it's kind of nice because you kind of, it's like easing into a hot bath. Yeah. So, Yeah. Cool. But they're cool. Um, you had your own late night show, Truth and Eliza. I did. It was great. Um, what do you? What did you kind of take away from that experience? And what do you? What do you? What stands out to you when you think about it? Now? Um, what I took away was I made a fucking dope show, and uh, I think it's brought me a lot of opportunities since. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they were ready for it that network. Yeah. But uh, it was we made Freeform was the network. Yeah. But we made a show that we were really proud of, and you're looking at a girl who has gotten to make a lot of late night pilots mm-hmm. and I've made a lot of, um, I've acquiesced to a lot of network demands. And on that one, even though there were still like, I really held my ground and I think we made something really great. So I was very proud of that. And so, you know, that just means the next time you're at bat, you compromise even less. Mm-hmm. Like the more people are giving you notes, they don't always know. Yeah. I know a good note when I hear it. Like every year I develop a, a pilot for a, a network. Mm-hmm. And some notes you're like, you just had to give a note. And some notes yeah. you're like, wow, that really made sense. So part of evolving as an artist and having ownership um, and agency over your creativity is knowing what hills to die on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're obviously doing the sketch show now, but is is the idea of doing a talk show still something that you think about that you want to do in your in your future? Or how I do don't you think about it? I don't think about it because I don't have time to think. But mm-hmm. uh, I think I, I, would, I, I would be great at it. I think our our nation deserves a conversation, mm-hmm. um, a social conversation, and I think I fall in that Venn diagram of overlap for what a lot of different demographics want. I think it's evident in the audiences that come to my stand-up shows, and I'm not trying to be too boastful, but I think I would fucking murder it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, you briefly mentioned uh, the military tours, and I know you've done a bunch of uh, yes. U- USO uh, tours. Is there are there stories or, or memories that jump out to you when you when you think about your time doing that? I remember the first one I did. It was my first USO tour, and you know, if you don't, we all have grandparents that fought uh, in a war. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have a military family or you don't really know anyone, some of us just don't. Who was in the military? Um, I mean, I know people, but it's, it wasn't like a part of my upbringing. We all say support the troops. You know, I love my country, but when you get down on the ground. And you see what they're doing. I brought my cousin on the last USO. We did the chairman's Christmas tour because I I wanted her to have the same eye-opening experience that I had. You know, if you come from a nice, from a privileged background and you don't see your cousins, you know, enlisting or stuff like that. uh, And these are freedoms that you can't help but take for granted because what war? Like, it's so foreign, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, And I remember, because you go to the base and it's for morale, I, I very much give myself over to the fact that like it is going to be exhausting. I am here to stand. I am part of a petting zoo. Mm-hmm. Whoever wants a picture, whoever wants to shake my hand, wants a hug, whatever, that's what I'm there for. No other reason. I will do my set and then I'm there. Ser- giving them, like servicing these service people. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think he must have been like 19. He was probably like super hot. Uh, 
they show you, you go into the airplane hangars or whatever branch you're visiting and they mm-hmm. show you, they want to show you what they're doing. Yeah. And he showed me a plane. I, I'm really bad with military. Unfortunately, I'm really bad with military numbers. Like I can never remember yeah. the plane numbers. And he showed me this plane. It cost in the millions, mm-hmm. $30 million or something. But he was in charge of it. Yeah. And he was 19. And for some reason, I always remember just in that moment, I was at the, at all at once grateful that I don't have that responsibility in awe of the fact that he took on that responsibility, whether he wanted it or not. And just inspired by that dedication, again, grateful that I have the life that I have and I don't have to put my life on the line. And I think about that. Uh, like, what was I doing at 19? Not in charge of a multi-million dollar aircraft mm-hmm. and people's lives. And so I'm sure if I think about it, I remember if we want to talk stand up, the hardest show of my life, um, I got asked to do a gig in Cutter. Mm-hmm. I was thought it was pronounced Qatar, like Qatari teenager. No, Qatar. Obama taught us it was it was pronounced Qatar. It's Qatar. And Bush <laughs> taught us it was Iraq, which is not. Uh, got invited to Qatar, just smacking the dab in the Middle East at Ali Deed Air Base. And weirdly, there's a water park across from it. Oh. But you know that the women are having no fun because they're like all in black. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I was going to go. You can't fly cutter, Burbank cutter direct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the day before, I was feeling weird. I was like, I just feel exhausted. I don't, something doesn't feel right. I just feel so tired. And we get on this Emirates flight and the door shuts and it hits me like I have the flu. Oh my God. If it wasn't the flu, it was like the worst, worst cold ever. And it was like a 15 hour flight. And I'm just sitting there and I'm shivering. There's no medicine on the flight. Yeah. I'm trying to hydrate. We land at the base and they wouldn't treat me. I don't know why. I don't know. And going back, I should have made a bigger deal. Maybe because I was a civilian. Yeah, Who knows? They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't give you anything. And they have stores on base, like like a mini Walmart. Like, yeah. You know. And so I went and I bought myself some DayQuil and I chugged it down and I felt horrible. And he, But I remember thinking, don't you fucking cry, you piece of shit. <laughs> These people have one hour to celebrate the new year and they've brought you here. Yeah. So stick it out. And I did a set in such a haze, I couldn't tell you what I said when mm-hmm. I got off stage. And you're just hoping that you're going to get some good crowd work just in this like thick fog. Yeah. And I got off stage and I remember I chugged a beer because I was like, I just need to feel something altered than what yeah. misery I'm feeling now. And I'll never forget how hard that set was, not only physically, but also mentally knowing I can't let these people down mm-hmm. because th- when they get colds, like they still have to carry artillery. <laughs> yeah. And so every time I do those shows, it's always a reminder like these people are putting their lives on the line on a daily basis so that I can go home and do a set where I dress my dog up in a ridiculous outfit Mm -hmm. and have the freedom to say these things. Thank you again to Eliza Schlesinger for coming on this week's episode of The Last Laugh. Her new special, Unveiled, is streaming now on Netflix. And look out for her new sketch series coming next year. If you enjoy this show, please tell your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram. The Last Laugh is distributed by Himalaya Media for The Daily Beast. It is produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch for Starburns Audio and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazel. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at Claude.mp3. You can find the show every week on Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. We'll have an all-new episode for you next Tuesday. See you then! I think we know the rest of the story.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 